Welcome to the ProcureTech Podcast, where we aim to excite and inspire you about how technology will shape our profession's future. I'm your host, James Meads, and I worked in corporate procurement for 16 years before starting my own business as a content creator and consultant in the procurement technology space. I'm deeply convinced that procurement must become less technocratic and embrace the entrepreneurial spirit and creativity if we're ever going to shake off our image of being a process-obsessed, box-ticking function. You definitely won't find vanilla content on here, and we're not afraid to tackle some controversial topics and tell it like it really is. So if that's your thing, now let's jump right into this week's episode. Yes, hello, greetings, and welcome back to another episode of the show. This is the ProcureTech Podcast, and we are the official podcast of procurementsoftware.site, where you can search, filter, and select procurement tech solutions, over 330 of them, all in one place, completely free to use, and you can search, filter, and find them in less time than it takes to boil an egg. No pay-to-play, no subscriptions, no memberships, just good old-fashioned, easy-to-use content. And today we're going to be talking all about contract lifecycle management and specifically with a gentleman who runs his own consultancy and actually encountered the same old problem every single time when he was servicing his clients. And as a result of that, that really um, that, that really inspired him to go out and create some software to solve that specific problem. And we see this more and more that founders often get into this space because they look at the market and realize that there's just not anything out there that fulfills their specific needs, or in this case, their clients' needs. So I'd like to welcome Dominic Kent. He is CEO and founder of Consultancy with and Birdseye, which is his contract lifecycle management platform, which is part of the wider business. So Dominic, very warm welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, uh, uh, James, and thank you for this uh, very kind introduction. So it's an interesting story of how you developed it. So maybe just give a quick overview of the background of how you got there. You know, what was the problem that you always spotted? And why did you think that the existing solutions didn't really cut it? Because the reason I'm asking that is because there's a lot of contract management solutions out there, right? So it's, uh, it's a pretty competitive market to get into. So really curious to, to hear what led you to that conclusion. It sure is, uh, James, and, and it's out of that competitive market that we started thinking, what is still lacking in the market based on the questions we have from our client? And what we see is that many clients spend, and you know that you've, you've been having quite a bit of these uh, uh, podcasts in, in the past, and you share those great content on your site, but you know that a lot of effort is being done in the pre-contract signing uh, uh, part of, of the contract management process. And so this is where typically... Well, 80% of the life cycle is being spent. Uh, in my humble opinion, 80% of the life cycle is in the post-signature phase of, <laughs> of the contract. And that where a lot of companies drop it. They spend a huge amount of effort and money in engaging with expensive consultants, like we used to be and still are, in making sure that there's a good signed contract. But once that contract is signed and the mandate of procurement is, well, less less important, I would say, and once the contract is signed, then we see that companies lose value by not managing those contracts. And this is where we got a lot of questions of our clients. So how can we leverage all the effort that's been done by procurement 
and make sure that we run it into the full life cycle of the contract over the what, three years, five years, 10 years of execution of that contract. So was it just that the existing players just didn't have that feature or was it more of a UI UX problem that it was was just not getting the adoption within the organizations that had those softwares or or, or was it even just that it's it, they, they were on a license model and the licenses were too expensive for all of the relevant stakeholders to use the platform effectively? It's a bit all of the above, I would say, James. I think it's a combination of the fact that many of the current contract management, contract lifecycle management platforms uh, have been initiated from that procurement point of view. And they have not been, well, initiated from how could the business be using a, a contract lifecycle management tool uh, in a distributed manner. And this is where I think the big differentiator is. It's not only UX, but it's the whole way of thinking about contract management. And of course, we do have some pre-signature elements in our software, but the conception was all the way from how can we make sure that the distributed environment, uh, so procurement is making sure that you have uh, your category management, you have IT category, you have your logistics, you have your uh, HR and finance uh, uh, categories. How can these categories in the business, the finance organization, the IT organization, the HR organization, the logistics organization, exploit their contracts to a maximum extent without being indeed pushed into a procurement system? And so this is indeed where we got that differentiator from, is not looking just at the procurement side, but just starting from the other side of the table. The ones that need to onboard a contract once procurement says, well, here you have it. Nice present. It's the best contract ever. It has the best <laughs> rates and the best terms. And now you have to manage it. Yeah, that's that's an interesting observation. And I was nodding because I, I do kind of agree with you that a lot of the tech or most of the tech for contract management is looking at it from the buy side, is either aimed at procurement or legal. It's rarely aimed at being used and adopted by the wider business. So I think, yeah, I would definitely concur with that. So how, how do we then get out of that silo? You know, how can organizations leverage a software platform to manage, you know, ongoing supplier performance management, I guess, for want of a better word, around the contract without procurement being seen as the sole owner that's dealing with some of this, you know, operational management and nowadays more and more, you know, risk and compliance requirements too on top. That's a very good question, uh, James. And I, I would say this is, uh, this is still one of the bigger challenges. Uh, so when we get into a company, we truly seek for a broader executive sponsorship. And that means indeed, to, well, well, it's easy to uh, approach a CFO. It's easy to approach a CPO. It's easy to approach a CIO because they have a specific issue to solve. And they have an IT and a finance and, and a procurement issue to solve. We are looking into the broader business perspective. And so we need a bit broader business sponsorship on an executive level. Um, and typically we end up with, as you mentioned, the COO type of profiles that have a larger um, um, mandate in the company or the risk officer uh, profile that also has a larger mandate in the company. So we approach it from that executive sponsorship because we we don't have typically one business unit which is using uh, uh, the software, uh, but more or less the whole company which is uh, using the platform. And so you need sponsorship from that level, not only from a software perspective, but more importantly, James, from a process perspective. Somebody needs to own yeah. the post-signature contract lifecycle management process. And in some companies, it's more operations-oriented. In other companies, it's more risk-oriented. 
And so this is where we indeed still have the challenge, uh, uh, James, because it's easier to approach the CPO individually or the CFO individually. We need to have a bit more broader sponsorship in companies that address it from a company issue and not from a siloed issue. Yeah, and it's a slightly off-topic question, but I'm I'm curious. Do, do you find then that from a sales perspective, you, you tend to approach operate operations and and finance and risk as well as procurement when you're when when you're doing business development and sales is that is that part of your sales cycle or do they tend to come in further down the line when when procurement or finance is already interested in buying it well i would again say uh, james all of the above um we have multiple angles going into companies because I must say that procurement very often has a good view on where it lacks that follow-up going forward. And legal also very often has that view where it lacks going forward. So they typically are sponsors and they say, look, guys, we also feel, well, we suffer from the fact that contracts are not being managed properly. So yes, let me help you in introducing you to the COO or to the risk manager because they are maybe not fully aware of that issue yet. We see happening. So our inroads are either directly in that sense or indeed through our allies, which are legal and procurement, uh, very often that have spotted the issue in the company. Yeah. So, so once a contract is signed, as you, as you said earlier, that's often when we think the task is complete, but in reality, it's just the beginning. And, right. you know, that's when, that's when the hard work really starts in terms of making sure that the, that the performance and the KPIs and the deliverables are, are met over its lifetime or indeed if it's a centrally negotiated contract that that then gets you know pushed down into the business units or into the countries or into the the production plants that that need to use that that product or service when we were doing a little bit of preparation for this you you mentioned a you mentioned a term the holy triangle of people processes and visibilities could you could you maybe walk us through that in a bit more detail of what you mean there so that's indeed where we tend to get in into a company and let me use a bit of a one-liner I, I used from somebody I met in the UK. And uh, so I stole his one-liner. So I'd rather say that it's not something I invented. But he said to me, well, look, Dominic, a fool with a tool is still a fool. And, that's, <laughs> and I fully believe that. Uh, software is an enabler. And so and software gives you that visibility uh, because it gives you dashboarding. It gives you data insights. It gives you all sorts of, of support in, in, in how the process is really working. But without a process, well, you have no working software. And you can buy these licenses, but very often you see that licenses are being bought and underexploited because by lack of a good process that has been configured, installed, has been adopted into the company in respect of how to create that visibility uh, uh, with, with the tooling. And of course, the people side of it is all about training. You can have the best process in the world, the best visibility tooling, but if your people are not trained and not aware of the, of, of the process they should execute, well, it all falls down again. So that holy triangle is something that we try to, uh, to push as much as possible in, in our client base. It's not all about license selling. It's about making sure that the software is being properly used for a proper process with people that are being trained in the process. And then, of course, in using the tool uh, to make sure that the process is uh, optimally used. So for us, that's the holy triangle. And so if a client comes to us and says, we just want to buy licenses, very probably we will be on a thinking side and say, well, well, we might not, you, well, you might not be the good client for us if you just want to buy licenses on the software. 
<laughs> yeah, because you need to have that visibility across the all the, the whole organization. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I had a similar conversation with Nick Verkrust, who was on uh, a couple of episodes ago, talking about vendor intake and supplier risk management software with the same thing that, you know, if uh, if you're using that type of software on a license model, then it's doomed to fail because the whole organization needs access to it. It's uh, spend analytics, you know, yeah, okay, only procurement or finance needs to use it. But e-sourcing, you know, probably the, probably the same, but yeah, contract management, hmm, if it, if it touches anywhere within the stakeholder community, then yeah, if you're running a license model, especially if you need a license to 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 just to just be a viewer and and just be an observer, yeah, it's a foolish journey if you're doing that. And I'd like to add something to this, uh, James, because there's a lot of relation indeed to to these corporate risk management uh, uh, toolings, uh, and and how we approach it is indeed making sure that people start from classifying their contracts. This is pretty much where it all starts from, and so a strategic relationship is very different than an operational uh, contract. And you can have a, a very different vendor classification. And so it might be that you use a vendor classification, you have a crawlage matrix, and you say, well, look, this is a strategic vendor from, uh, from our point of view, but we do operational contracts with it. We do tactical contracts and we do also strategic contracts. And that's how you have to look into that process. So managing a strategic contract will entail other things to do than managing an operational contract, even if it is with a strategic vendor. And so this is how the thinking should get into the company. And procurement will think, I th- look at my, 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 my vendor classification. Well, the business needs to look at what contract do I have, knowing that I have a certain vendor in place. And so this is the, the, the way you need to tweak that process into the company. And that's a different way of thinking, James. And this requires some, some training, some different process thinking, and some different visibility in the tool. And that's why it is a holy triangle uh, uh, where we need more sponsorship on that executive level that has a broader impact on the company. And it's kind of taking the discussion beyond category management as well, isn't it? That, you know, you, you're often going to get suppliers now that, that deliver across multiple categories. I mean, there was a, there's a book written by, um, four consultants from Boston Consulting Group called Profit from the Source, which talks about, you know, leveraging supplier relationships. And they used the example that, uh, the company Bosch delivers pretty much in every segment across what goes into building a car. So if you're a category manager for powertrain or for chassis, if you don't talk to each other, then the supplier is just going to run rings around you. And it's the same with contracts. If you've got, if you've got a consultancy that's doing financial and legal consultancy and tax consultancy and, 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 and accounts audits, you know, it's, um, it's going to be a different bunch of stakeholders and probably different procurement category yeah. managers that overall manage that relationship. And that's the angle we've taken. So it, it, indeed, it's, it's going post-procurement, leveraging what procurement is doing and making sure that the business is, is leveraging as much as possible the value out of what procurement has initiated. And so it, it, it's that, that, that close collaboration that with procurement and legal in that follow-on activity that the business is, is not ring-fencing itself from a procurement ring fence already. So a- apart from the risk of procurement operating in silos and and not acting responsibly or proactively enough post-contract signature, can you give some examples of where you feel procurement often misses out on delivering value once we get beyond contract signature? You know, how do, how do we ensure that contracts actually work for us as the 
as the company that's purchasing rather than rather than into the supplier's benefit? Well, I think it's all about making sure there's a proper handover and feedback loop. So at a point in time, procurement should no longer take ownership of certain contracts. As you mentioned at the beginning, century managed contracts is something different. But a lot of the contracts are distributed in a sense. And yeah, it's that handover moment which is important. So procurement should actively hand it over to the owner that needs to exploit and run the contract. But there needs to be a feedback loop. Often that is also a silo. Well, the, the contract is out of procurement. And five years later, the business owner pops up again and says, hey, I need a new <laughs> provider because I'm not happy. Well, wait a minute here. Why didn't you inform me over those five years that things were not moving in the right direction? So it's that feedback loop that needs to happen. On the one hand, the handover, but a feedback loop as well. And this is what we do with our software. It's making sure that that handover can happen. Business is managing its contract. It's, cre- it's, it's managing its evidences. And there's feedback loops into the organization, back into the way that you should not always go into renewals or, or um, RFPs, excuse me, but that the renewal is, is perfectly fine if you have sufficient evidences that things have moved in a certain direction. And that is where procurement must be leveraged. You cannot always say procurement, renegotiate. No. Well, this is where it needs to happen in that dialogue between a procurement and a business. And I, my, my feeling is that procurement is missing out on, on that in, 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 a lot of, in a lot of companies today. Why do you think it is? Do you think it's just because of the way that procurement's objectives are set? Or or do you think it's just that stakeholders, once they typically take on the day-to-day operational management of the contract, that in some cases they, they don't want procurement interfering with them? Do you think it's a bit of both? Or do you think it's more on one side than the other? I think it's 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 that combination of both that just makes it. On the one hand, procurement has has also very often its, procu- uh, its, its target set to Give me a rebate. I need that percent off. And when their deal is done, that tick box, deal closed, my task is over, next. And then it's, it's a combination of the business. Saying, well, thank you for the contract. Now it's up to me. Get out of my yard. Uh, this is my contract now. And it's that combination of both that creates this value leakage by not exploiting the contract to its maximum extent. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree. It's, uh, it's always interesting to speak to someone that sees so many more companies than I do and, uh, and, and get that feedback. But yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that. What, what type of industry sectors or, or specifics do you typically find are a, a good fit to use Bird's Eye as a platform? Well, we typically have two types of, of, of clients. Uh, the ones that today are predominantly using our platform or ones that are being pushed by a regulatory compliance. And you, you, will, you will know it, James, uh, there's quite a bit of European rules and regulations, uh, EBA, IOPA, a lack of, of rules and regulations that say to financial institutions, say to um, uh, pharma companies, say to food regulated companies, you shall be in control of your contracting and outsourcing and business partnerships and contracted relationships. You shall prove that you're in control. And so there's quite a bit of regulation in, in, in there. And so to prove that, well, you need evidences. You need evidences not only of a good contract, but you need evidences that you have good contract management. And so that you manage your risks, that you manage your governance, that you manage your performance, that you manage uh, your events that happen on the contract. And this is being pushed by regulatory compliance on the one hand. Very often indeed sponsored by risk. And so the CRO is there, the, the risk officer. On the other side, we see that quite a bit of Companies that are into operational excellence driven, 
where you have value chains uh, or, or chains of, of contracts that are important uh, in, in chain relationships uh, like uh, uh, FMCG, logistics, retail type of things, mm. uh, transport as well. Uh, they have a chain of events happening in their contracts. And if one of these chains, well, one of the, the elements in the chain break, well, then the whole chain is at risk. And so they need operational excellence in that chain. And so that's where we see also the need to have a full view on, on their contract lifecycle once it has been signed. So where do we have weaknesses in, in our operations at, at large? And there we end up more with the COO type of profiles uh, that need to manage that chain uh, uh, quite a bit because a couple of events in the past months and years uh, like Brexit, COVID, a war has put that operational chain in a lot of companies at risk. And they start to realize that you need to monitor and manage their contractual chain a lot better than they did before. From the regulatory point of view, it's indeed being pushed by regulatory uh, um, government bodies. Yeah, I used to manage logistics procurement, and I'm glad that I didn't have to do it during Brexit or COVID. <laughs> so, yeah, I can only imagine what a mess that would have been. Yeah. And it's following that chain of events in your contracts that is now quite difficult very often for companies. And because procurement does need, doesn't need to think about that chain, that's the whole point, James. They have no, it's not their task to think about what is the chain of events of all these contracts happening here. No, they don't need to do that. They need to focus on their category. But beyond the category mixing everything up is a COO, is an operational excellence task. It's not a procurement task. Yeah, and, and the point that you just made about that not being a procurement task kind of leads me on nicely to the next question that I wanted to ask you, which is procurement often is aware and can recognize a specific problem, but they may not have the mandate to go into the business unit and actually solve it because it's it's not under their jurisdiction if it's an, an operational issue, for example. So how would Bird's Eye enable these problems to be more visible publicly to the wider organization that has access to, to, the, to the CLM platform? All about dashboarding, James. It's, it's all about making sure that you can, from a dashboard perspective, have the right snapshot what is happening on the portfolio of contracts. And the visibility is on portfolio is not only on business unit, but is beyond business unit, it's cross business unit. And that's, that's where it needs to happen, is making sure that your portfolio is visible. Secondly, it's all about calendar as well, James. Uh, quite a bit of contracts uh, require monthly activities and you typically don't forget the monthly activities. It gets a bit trickier when there's a quarterly activity. And it gets all the way tricky and forgotten when it's a yearly activity to be done. And so activating people that things need to be done is the strength of our, of our platform because we have a, a distributed platform with multiple roles, multiple um, contributors engaged, and they get activated by alerts and say, watch out, your activity once a year is upcoming there again. You need to action upon it. And it's being managing those activities that helps executives need, have an overview well, what's the state and the health of the overall activity set that we need to do as a company on my contract portfolio? And that is, I think, a, a differentiator where procurement looks at their procurement side, but we look at what needs to happen on the contract, put it into a calendar, put it into a dashboard, and activate everybody involved in the contract uh, once it's in that lifecycle. And that's a big differentiator as opposed to what the market is currently offering uh, today. 
Yeah, so it's it's all about really procurement taking over as the value driver then behind commercial contract management over the the lifetime or the duration of the contract, which you know historically we've maybe tried to do, but let's be honest, haven't always been successful. Correct. If I may add to this, very often procurement knows these activities because they have negotiated them into the contract. <laughs> So yeah. it's a it's a matter of setting out these activities and handing them over to the business and say, look, we translated your contract in these activities, in that process, we activate it and you're good for the next, whatever, five years, three years, 10 years, what it is, because the system is helping you to do those reminders. And if your activity set change, you change your template, you change your activity set, but then it's procurement handing over a nice booklet, not only, but also a tool set for them to manage it. And this is where procurement can leverage uh, their added value significantly uh, in that handover moment, uh, James. And you know, we all know now that it's getting much, much harder to just open up a contract and negotiate a 5% hard saving off it to, to, to hit our targets. And, and that most of the conversations, especially on long-term contracts with strategic or partner vendors is is more about innovation and added value and, and, and having a good SRM strategy to work with them as a partner. Do you think that this is helping us or have you seen evidence that it's helping us to have those types of conversations with finance that you know our role now is beyond just delivering savings and to the example that you mentioned earlier, you know, having a reactive negotiation with a supplier just before the contract expires. Are these sort of ongoing life cycles savings or, you know, I use savings as a broad term, let's say cost avoidance and risk mitigations as well in certain cases. Are, are they being recognized by the wider business? I think business is getting more and more aware that 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 just, well, let's say the, the good old squeeze is not always helping them out as well. So you, you see they're being involved in those early negotiations when it comes to price. Yet traditions are difficult to break, James. You know that. <laughs> and procurement yeah. keeps on pushing on that that price point in in the end. And so involving a finance or somebody that is at least protecting the company goals uh, that that's where it, it matters, James. You can always push on the price point, but you need to have somebody that protects the company goals and looks into is this contract whatever we've pushed on the price. Uh, contributing to my company company goals. And that is typically, yes, the triangle that you need between finance and procurement and the business owner uh, to make sure that you you don't over push, but you don't under push either. Also because you know it as well, price point uh, discussions very often lead to scope creep uh, and that is hurting the business then. Uh, and so it's, 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 it's that thing you need to manage and monitor and finance could play what well, can typically play a bit of a mediating role in that. They, they protect the company goals, business wants their best service and procurement wants their best price. So if I, if I paraphrase that answer, then it's, it's a tool to help with the influence and the persuasion and the storytelling around the additional value that we can drive. But if the, if the policies and the culture of a company is fundamentally rotten and, and procurement is just being tasked with doing reactive savings, then that's never going to change it. Fully agree with that, James. I mean, uh, yeah. and that's where you need that, that company culture change. Uh, the, again, to the holy triangle that we mentioned, it's about people, process, and visibility with technology. Uh, if you're not ready for that as a company and, and you have a, uh, a, a, a just a buying uh, attitude, we squeeze out our providers and that's what it is. Well, you're never going to realize that. So we often indeed 
disqualify as well companies that are not ready to go into that because they don't have the culture yet. And maybe they never will have the culture, uh, uh, James, in, in that perspective. So we pick our clients wisely uh, in, in, that, in that sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> so f- finally, Dominic, just to wrap this up, if anyone would like to learn more about Birdseye or to maybe see a demo, uh, where should we send them? Uh, they can go to the website, birdseye.digital. Just do the request. We have an 11-point demo focus, and you just pick four or five, and we give you a demo based on your needs eh? because the platform can do quite a bit. And we just, you, you cross a couple of uh, boxes and you say, look, this is what I want to see. And we'll go into a detail with our product owner and, and our demoing team. And you can find it all on birdseye.digital. Got it. Dominic, it's been an absolute pleasure. Love talking uh, innovative tools around how we can manage a uh, lifetime of our contracts better. So always glad to see there's some innovative software coming out there that can hopefully solve that problem. We're still pretty much preaching, uh, uh, James. So uh, thanks uh, for giving us this moment of preaching to the community. (laughs) So if you're looking for a contract management platform with a twist that can manage the complete life cycle and give your organization visibility beyond procurement, legal and finance, then Dominic and Birdseye is where you should look. Thank you again for listening to the show. Just one quick request before we sign off. If you haven't already, then please hop over to Apple Podcasts if you're listening on an iOS device and just give us a quick review uh, of the podcast. It does help us reach more people and I would be eternally grateful. And if I see you at a conference, I'll even buy you a beer or a glass of wine. Until next week, take care wherever you are and bye for now. Bye for now.